welcome to Cinebabble episode 68. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by three-time MMA championship fighter in the middleweight division, Clint Jones. Clint, tell your fighting fans hello. Hi, fighting fans. <laughs> no? Hi, fighting fans. Okay. Usually roll right with it. I don't know. It caught me off guard for some reason. I don't know. I've just, I've like fallen in this place i've been thinking about is it. like it's weird we've fallen into this rhythm of doing this thing like it was never said or talked about or anything you just decided you're going to do this and i have to like pivot every time like and come up with something and this time you just caught me off guard i hope that you pictured the very same thing i pictured and that's what <laughs> drove us both to laughter which was just you in an mma ring I just pictured uh, myself like bloodied and bruised and you like, <laughs> like barely can recognize me. Yeah. That's what I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure if, if you were, you know, raised in that way, your build, you'd be quite threatening, but you were not a threatening individual. Well, they always say um, about very like civilized. very long, lanky guys. Yeah. Those are the ones you have to wear. They have the reach. So yeah. I have the reach. I have that going on. I have no idea. Also, you know, a lover, not a fighter. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Clint, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Oh, you know, Ken, it was it was a Thanksgiving. We had the turkey and the stuffing and all the fixings. I'm and... reading between <laughs> every paused line. Like, well, you know, there was family food and people. <laughs> no, it, it was a complicated Thanksgiving. I won't uh, go into it here, but yeah. uh yeah. It Just was lots of directions and lots of things. That's um, uh we we had a really laid back Thanksgiving yeah. for once. It was kind of nice. Yeah, that's so, good. No, okay. No, well, it was pretty good. I mean, it was it was good as it can be. Did you get time off work? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we you know you get Thanksgiving Day off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming that uh, by your face, which does not look enraptured with joy <laughs> to hang out with family, you had plenty of time to watch some things. Clint, what you been watching about? Oh, man, I got so many things, and I'm going to narrow it down to the essentials. I think, yeah, I had, like, I had a very restful, like, um, uneventful Thanksgiving weekend. So Mm -hmm. I decided, let's hunker down and watch stuff on, you know, all the various (laughs) streaming channels. Something, I'm going to start with this. This is a movie from 1985 that... I had not, I really even heard of or like was super aware of. Um, And I saw the trailer and it looked really intriguing. And this is um, by Martin Scorsese and this is called After Hours. Oh, okay. Um, And it's got uh, Griffin Dunn. You would recognize him from American Werewolf in London. This is probably my favorite Scorsese movie. Really? Like that makes me want to revisit it. I haven't watched it in years. It's amazing. Really, like, I, I I watched it and I showed the trailer to Jenny and I was like, you should like you might like this. And so we watched it again, and uh, it's so funny. It feels very modern. Hmm. It feels like Punch Drunk Love or something like that. Where I, I'm very surprised that it was made in its time. Like I don't know. It just feels very modern to me, and I, I was super into it. Okay. But like the basic premise is, this guy meets a girl at a, at a uh, coffee shop. He goes to hang out with her, and his night 
just like completely dismantles and unfolds Mm -hmm. in this weird way. And he's just wants to get home. It's kind of like uh, Dorothy in Wizard of Oz, but it's like 1985 uh, Manhattan or New York and uh, him just trying like desperately wanting to get home, doesn't have cab fare, can't get on the subway. And um, it's really funny. It's got a lot of really great comedic actors from the time. Okay. And uh, I highly recommend it. Like, I wouldn't say, like, I'm the biggest Scorsese fan. Like, I recognize the quality of his films, but there's a lot of them, like, I don't have much interest to go back to. Like, I recognize it while watching it. They're they're very good and they're very well done. But this is one where, like, I want to go back and rewatch it. And it it was just super amusing. I don't know. All right. I highly I, recommend it. I watched it forever and a day ago when I was sort of just going through his entire catalog. Yeah. And um, I remember good things about it, but I also remember not a lot, just, you know, kind of flying right by it. So huh. I'll it's, check it out again yeah. and see what I missed. Maybe it's just uh, me. Like, it, it's just like my, like, I don't somehow. have bad memories no, of no. it. It just, like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, I've seen that. And then when I was trying to drum up what I had seen in that movie, very little was coming to mind. So. Yeah, I mean, I just never heard anyone talk about it and um, so didn't know really even how it was regarded. But to me, like, it really struck a chord. Okay. Um, so I watched uh, a little horror movie because for some reason I can't get away from the gravitational pull of horror. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know why, because we watched this trailer, and I forget what movie it came before, but we both looked at each other. We had already made several jokes about the trailer, and yeah. then by the end of it, looked at each other, and like, never going to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but turns out, when it's free on Paramount+, Plus, I will. And it's this horror flick smile. Um, and I, I think the only thing sort of notable about it is the main actress in it is the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. Oh, okay. Which was really interesting because I didn't realize that at the time. I kept mm. thinking she looked familiar, but I didn't know why. And now I realize, well, it's because she looks like her mom and her dad, as <laughs> kids do. That was a really stupid thing to say. Hmm. But uh, Smile is about this weird entity that sort of latches on to people and – as they go crazy, they smile, they kill somebody, and then the entity travels to the next person through the trauma. It's very much like it follows. Is it like a ghostly entity or like a super like? It's definitely like a ghostly, okay. demonic, some sure sort of supernatural entity. Or... If you took the ring, yeah, uh, and you crossed it with uh, that other movie I just said that that quickly escaped <laughs> my mind. Wow. Uh, anyway, it follows, it follows. Thank you. If you take the ring and you cross it with it follows and you get Mm -hmm. rid of all the sex, it's this movie. Uh, and it was, it was surprisingly decent. I say with, with some hesitation, just because I'm worried maybe I was in a good mood and you're going to watch it and be like, what are you talking about? The trailer has a lot to make up for it. It does. This, this does have a few of those moments. It's, it's dealing with people going crazy and people doing these weird smiles. And so some of the actors just don't quite work. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 uh, it was, it was worth watching. It, it was a decent little kind of studio horror romp. Uh, it, it didn't, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I would even say it was probably good. Yeah. You know, kind of end quote after good, but, (laughs) uh, it was, it was pretty decent. It had some, it had some good scares and some effective jump scares. And normally I don't like jump scares, but this had legitimate ones and it got me three or four times. Hmm. Uh, one time I even yelped, uh, <laughs> which is kind of embarrassing, but sound definitely came out of my mouth hole. So. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
like a little dog getting hit by a paper, like <laughs> mouth yep. hole. Horror, okay. horror. Please don't uh, say mouth hole ever. <laughs> I'll work on that one. What else <laughs> you've been watching, Clint? Um, another thing I watched, like, and actually, this was a very lazy Friday where I just like sat on the couch and decided to binge this show for whatever reason. And this is Limitless with Chris Hemsworth from um, uh, Disney Plus. Yes, this was just in the news because Chris Hemsworth. In the course of the show, found out that he has a, a higher like instance of getting Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it really kind of messed with his brain, uh, as as the news would. Yeah, that would yeah. be unsettling for sure. What's the premise of the show? Well, it's basically like he wants to figure out ways to extend his life. So oh, he's okay. going through different like ways to deal with stress in like. Um, ways of working out the body that m- not just for physical, like, you know, his physique for the movies, but just like day to day, like using mm-hmm. your body, what, which ways and um, different things, like uh, ways to like in like have like this was actually the episode where he learned that he might have this higher chance of getting Alzheimer's, like ways to help um, continue like having your memory, mm-hmm. like not lose your memory. And there's different things like that. So it's basically he wants to live as long as possible and he's going and it's like connected to like he does some kind of like big stunt. Like, so like the first one is dealing with stress. So he has to do this giant crane walk. So he walks mm-hmm. a- across this crane and his strength one was where he, cl- like this one was crazy. He dangles from a, um, a, uh, what were they called? like a tram car mm-hmm. that's like a thousand foot in the air and he has to go down to a rope and climb a hundred foot rope. No. And nope. it's Mm-mm. ridiculous. Nope. So he does like and then mm-hmm. he does there's one for um the like extreme temperatures can are proven to like help with um living longer. Is there one where he has to just sit down and talk to people who watch Love and Thunder? Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would have really, you know, tested some some stress levels and some some heart palpitations and yeah, sort of. It, I mean, if you're I, I you, they you put you through quite I'm a sorry, roller coaster I'm of sorry, emotions. Guys. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, so worth watching? Yes. It, well, if you really want to see hunky crims, uh, Chris Hemsworth, Crimsworth, Crimsworth, <laughs> that's his. Yeah, that's his. I'm going to call him Crimsworth. Calling him Crimsworth forever. <laughs> Without a shirt on a lot, mm-hmm. like that's a plus, but also like just like kind of actually like learning something about these mm-hmm. things is interesting. But I will say why it's worth watching is the very last episode. Okay. Because I didn't mention this, but Darren Aronofsky is the creator of the show and producer of the show. Seriously? Yeah. And you wouldn't know it really up until the last episode where it gets super Darren Aronofsky. Like, to, like it goes into... I'm not, it's not ruining anything, but he goes through all these things to extend his life. And then the very last episode is basically, you're not going to extend your life. You have to come to terms with you're going to die. And they go and put him in an, like, they create this makeshift, like, um, retirement community. Mm -hmm. And they, like, put him in a suit that, like, replicates, like, the, like, being elderly. And, and it's, like, coming to terms with you're going to get old and you're going to die. Jeez. And it gets so dark <laughs> and so Darren Aronofsky, okay. like that it's like 
worth watching it just for that last episode. Okay. And Chris Hemsworth is delightful, so it's it's worth watching. It's a little surprise for Disney Plus, but yeah, all I, right. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is kind of enjoyable. It's kind of le- like fun learning these things that maybe I can like apply to my life. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to that one, and it's just like. Oh my, like all the wind is just sucked out of me. Okay. Um, so yeah, check it out. All right. I Rachel had mentioned watching it, and so I'll 100 percent get her addicted to it and not tell her about the last episode. <laughs> and then just sit there and watch. Like, I'm she not even ruining like it, it, like just like the extents they go to is just amazing. Perfect. Uh I also watched a new uh indie flick called Emily the Criminal, and this uh-huh. stars Aubrey Plaza. And uh, she just plays a, sort of a down-on-her-luck uh, female, obviously. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I'm really, really just getting it dead center today. Female. Yeah. She plays a I female. <laughs> anyway, she plays this woman who uh, has a criminal record. And so she has a hard time getting a job. And she ends up uh, getting into some low-level theft crimes that that sort of build and and she connects to somebody and sort of there's a romance in the middle of it. Um, but this this is a movie that's that I think is worth checking out with the caveat that Aubrey Plaza is the reason to watch this movie. I don't think the movie itself is mm-hmm. anything that special. It's made well. And uh, it it feels nice and realistic until about the last ten minutes, and then somehow it goes Hollywood. But uh, but she's really really good at mm-hmm. it, and that was that was my biggest takeaway. Is I'd love to see her in some more uh, heavy dramas because I did not realize the level of chops she has for that kind of material, and I don't know what would fit her well. Um, you know this this was fine. It just. Uh, she she really bumped it up a notch, and uh, she was really impressive. I really like her, actually. And yeah. uh, she's in this season of The White Lotus. Yep. Are you watching that show? Not yet, but um, I've I've read a few things about it. And it suits her really well because she's bringing a lot, like, maybe, like, similar things she's done in other roles, but then there's definitely a turn in it where she's going much more dramatic. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and just other things I've seen in her, seen her in, I've really been impressed by her. And I like she's just like unabashedly like a weirdo. Yeah. Like in interviews, she's just like I am who I am. Yeah. I like what I like, and that I like. I think that's she cool. She was really good in Legion, yeah. which was the FX series that was sort of an X Men spinoff, barely. Yeah. But uh, she was so good and creepy in that, mm-hmm. and. Um, I just, I don't know. I find myself more and more if if she's in something, it it's typically worth watching. Yeah. So, what else you got? Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was this series on Netflix, uh, and this was another one I blew through really quickly. Um, and this is eighteen ninety nine, mm. and created by Baron Bo Odar and Jean Che. Fries, I think sure, sure. I think they're like they're like (laughs) they're from like Denmark or something. You sound like like you're making up D and D characters over there. I just just forget it when I need to like pronounce names. Um, Anyway, they created the show Dark that Mm -hmm. was also on Netflix, Um, which somehow I missed. I have I haven't my queue, and I've got to go and watch it. And I want to watch 1899. I feel like I, I've talked about it quite a few times. You did. But you, you've mentioned Dark several yeah. times. It's just one that a lot of things had come out, and yeah. I sort of just missed it. Yeah, it's worth uh, going back to. Um, 
But this is their new show, and it takes place on like a luxury um, cruise ship, like mm-hmm. in 1899. So kind of think like the Titanic, and it gets very strange. And there's a mystery at foot because they come across another ship exactly like it. Um, it's like the sister ship in the in the fleet, and it's like completely abandoned. So then they're trying to figure out what's going on. And I will say there's points in this where I'm like, I don't know what's going on with the show. This thing is, I thought it was going to be one thing just from like watching Dark in Mm. the previews. And then it like will throw other things in there that I'm like, and I'm like questioning, is this good? Or are they just messing with me? Mm -hmm. Until the like... Then you get to another point where I'm realizing, no, they're not just messing with me. There's a there's a master plan to this. Hmm. And it goes in such really interesting directions. And um I I was really surprised, like on my toes the entire time trying to figure out what was going on. And I, I was really surprised by well how they how well they pulled that off. Hmm. And they do a really cool thing with the show where it's a like you're on this cruise ship and everyone's from different um, parts of the world and um, very multilingual. And they actually had all, all the, the cast members are from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So like even they were showing, they have a really good making of like our making of thing on Netflix. And they're talking about how like the, how it was hard to like communicate and they mm-hmm. would, and they would find different ways to communicate other than just language. And they were, they were going through it. And it was very mm-hmm. interesting how like, even just regardless of not knowing the language, they would be able to um, find these like just human ways of connecting. Yeah. And, cool. um, and that, and that really shows in the show too. And, and uh, I, I was really impressed by that. And it gives this other level to, to it of like complication hmm. and not understanding what's happening. Um, but it's really well done. And, and they did this in the, um, what's it called? The volume. Mm-hmm. Um, they were planning to not do this, but in the volume at first, but like during lockdown and everything yeah. they had, they wanted to continue working on the show. So they figured they were introduced to the volume system and it actually like plays into the show really really well hmm. and they and they do strange things with it and and contextual like um th- thematically it really works okay. um even more so than i say like mandalorian or something okay. um but i really liked it i thought it was a very um i don't know just the, the mystery was successful and it, it kept me guessing okay yeah well the last thing i watched is a movie that was not shot in the volume and <laughs> i will admit very freely that the only reason I even sat down and watched this was because the title was so irresistible. Uh-huh. And it was on Shudder. And it was it's this movie, this horror movie from India called Satan Slaves, colon, <laughs> Communion. Satan Slaves, <laughs> Communion. Uh-huh. And the reason that Communion, I come to find out later, is on there is because there was actually a first movie called Satan Slaves. <laughs> I have not watched Satan Slaves, but it might have helped me better understand <laughs> Satan Slaves colon Communion. Uh-huh. Uh, Satan Slaves Communion, it starts out for, for about three minutes. Yeah. This, this movie had me. I, I was pretty gripped. And then it goes into an apartment complex 30-some-odd years later. Uh-huh. And it's it's basically a, this has been – this apartment building has been built on top of a site that once was, you know – 
some some creepy things happen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there may or may not be something dwelling beneath this apartment uh, complex. And uh, I, I wish I understood more than that, but a lot was working <laughs> against me. Number one, uh, it, it is subtitled, which normally I don't have a problem with, but Amazon, for whatever reason – had all of the subtitles about three seconds ahead of oh, what yeah. was ever happening on the yeah. screen. And they didn't identify who the speaker is. I wish subtitles in general just had a character name and then the line for, for many reasons. But in this Close case— Closed captioning sometimes does that. Yes. Yeah. But, but I was uh, really working hard yeah, yeah. to keep up with this movie. Then I realized it's, it's not well written. Uh-huh. That also didn't help. Also— it's an entirely different culture, uh, obviously, and it's it's playing on things in that culture that make sense without stating why it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But to little old American me, no clue. So there I've got my trifecta of confusion. Uh, by the end, uh, I, I don't exactly know what I watched, Clint. <laughs> it had 15 minutes of entertaining stuff in there. Yeah. But I was determined to get through it because I really wanted to just say the words Satan Slaves Communion mm-hmm. on this podcast. Are you compelled to watch the first one? Not at all. Oh, okay. Not at all. I'm I'm I, I'm very confused. Now it wasn't Bollywood. I was very happy about that. It wasn't it it didn't go silly and weird and all those things that that I just don't have affection for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was much more straight horror. And uh, the the acting was good, and it looked good, and it had what would have been, I think, good scares if I would have understood what I was being scared by. It had a great uh, falling elevator scene. Oh, yeah? uh, Where (laughs) it just shows this little girl standing and waiting for, I think she was waiting for her dad. And you're watching this from different floors. It's, it's got kind of a raid vibe, uh-huh. and the elevator starts to fall, and then it cuts to this girl. Uh, before that, all these coins had rolled in this crack that this guy had accidentally dropped and under the elevator. So while the elevator's up, these other little girls go in there to get all the coins because, <laughs> oh, boy, coins. You know, elevator yeah. collapses. Not only did the people in the elevator sort of, you know, get mushy, explodey, mm-hmm. but so do the little girls trying to pick up <laughs> coins under. But you don't see any of that. All you see is the one little girl who gets out in time mm-hmm. or, or who maybe was waiting for her dad. I can't remember. But you just see this splash of shining level blood <laughs> erupt <laughs> out of the camera, the elevator, uh-huh. and just plaster this little kid. Um but uh, yeah, yeah, that was Satan slaves communions. I don't understand how Satan works into it. Pretty sure Satan's not a thing in India. Um, I don't. I don't think they believe in that. So it was quite the little translation there. Yeah, you think it was something else originally? And then, yeah, like, the word uh, Satan is never mentioned, at least to my knowledge. I did a well, lot of subtitle work. You don't know. You didn't see the first one. That's true. That's you true. might be missing a giant chunk of what's happening. Maybe. Maybe there was some there was some good stuff, but I yeah. I just it was so out of context. Mm-hmm. I might as well have been watching clips on YouTube. But what I was excited to watch was the Andor finale. Oh, and I think it is time. Don't until... spoil it for me. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't watched the Andor finale? <laughs> oh, shut up, Clint. Are you kidding? We already talked okay. about this. Okay. Well, that's why I got so confused. Yeah. Uh. So until <laughs> 2024, which is apparently when season two is coming back, we gotta wait. Um. I think we have time for just one more love letter to Andor. Falling in love. 
Clint, uh, what was your takeaway? Did you enjoy the finale? Did it live up to expectations? Did it close out the season uh, to your satisfaction? Did it leave you just feeling like, wow, this is what Star Wars should be? Or what was your kind of final, you know, what was what's your final sentence on the show that is Andor? Well, I always say, like, and I think I've already mentioned this, that I had no expectations. Yeah. Like, I, w- I, like, if they had ended it after the last episode, I would have been fine. Yeah. And, like, because I really had been satisfied by the entire yeah. season. Like, I liked every episode. Yeah. I liked everything about it. Um, so they really couldn't have done too much to um, make me fall off the ship of Andor. <laughs> <laughs> Other than like bringing Grogu in or whatever, yeah. um, I I was not I was fine with where, wherever they wanted to take mm-hmm. me, and I will say I loved it. I yeah. thought it was the perfect ending to what the whole season had set up. It felt like this full circle from where we began, but also like propelled us forward into where we're going. Um, I loved that it was like still like felt small. It yeah. felt like it was contained to the characters. It never went galactic. Like we're okay. Now we're going off. The stakes into th- are galactic. This, well, but the, the, but still, the drama is, is small and, and contained. But and, like galactic in the sense of like, we've all, it, it's not any bigger than what we've already been shown. Yeah. Um, and it's, it was contained to the world we, they were giving us. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. And I I love that it was just based around this funeral and, yep. and this loss of this person who was in this community. And um, I thought they really did a really good job of emphasizing that this is about this community yep. and this community of people who need to, like, are realizing that they need to rebel and they're going to need to step up and do what's, asked of them now. I feel like in 45 minutes, because this wasn't even that extended of an episode or anything, but in 45 minutes, this one episode, uh, even, you know, let's discount everything that came before it uh, if if you need to, but this this one episode did more to establish Star Wars tension, suspense, and action uh, in, in a believable way that mattered than all three of the sequel trilogy movies. Oh, yeah. It was just so... The stakes were so much more... Like, I was invested so much more than any of that that came in those sequels. Yeah. And and it's, it's crazy because you're really, like you said, you're dealing with... I mean, they focus in on a block of mm-hmm. this town, and, and that's even probably... Uh, exaggerating. I mean, it's just this crossroads or, or where these streets kind of come together, Rick's Road, which is what the episode's called. And it's it's a funeral procession. And in the midst of this funeral procession, you have this town that is just at a boiling point and they've been oppressed and they're tired of it and they're being abused. And there's just this one moment that's enough to, to just set it off. Mm-hmm. And the way that they established everything around it, the way they bring all of the characters that that we've cared about together, but not in a contrived way. It right. was very organic why everyone was there. It was very uh, satisfying. And, and I just, I thought it was a really powerful episode that, that continued what the show had already set up, which is these are real people 
and they have real consequences that are affecting their lives and they're losing real loved ones and there's real trauma and real PTSD and real grief and and all of these things. It just I I I sat there afterwards and I was so surprised that a Star Wars series had left me feeling so much. Yeah. Of of you know those kind of deep emotions, mm-hmm. I just oh, I so thought, good. Yeah, and they and they did such a good job from the beginning of like baking into the show why all the characters start there. Yeah. So when they end up there all at the end, there it's not surprising in any way. Yeah. It, it makes sense to like the stakes that have been presented and why they want to keep an eye on this funeral and like and. And it was just so beautifully done with that funeral. Yeah. Like, um, there had to have been some level of these musicians are actually playing. It just felt the so practical the instruments. practical yeah. instruments <laughs> with like the Star Warsization of them. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. I love when they do that stuff because they've done that. Like that was that's from the get go of Star Wars. Like using these practical, yeah. uh, real world. Um, you know, things that we're used to seeing and recontextualizing them and like, you know, adding stuff to them so they feel... uh, And doing it in a way where it's not just putting somebody... It's not creating a modern scene and putting somebody in an alien mask. No, no, no. It's you're actually feeling this world. Right, right. And And it feels part of like... You know, we're fam- it's familiar in this way that yeah. it, you can have a connection to it. I noticed this episode, and I've noticed it before, but I can't think of a single side character that has not felt like it was cast as a main character. Yeah. Uh, as far as actor and actress. Even some of the just side Imperials that have one line mm-hmm. or two lines are really good actors. Yeah. Kind of throwing their all into these little moments in the street. And... um you know, even your masked stormtroopers, it just it just felt like it had more weight and and reality to it and and more meaning between these these different factions sort of clashing in the street. Um, yeah, I actually like felt a threat from the stormtroopers yep. in this. Like usually they're kind of uh just, you know, they they're fodder that are thrown yep. into battle. But like the rest of this has been so much like um you know, these, these, I don't know, rebels and then like kind of the, um, these the like revolutionary, the revolutionary characters. characters. Yeah. And like, it's never it, really up to that point there, the, 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 um, stormtroopers weren't even presented. Yeah. Um, so just like, I felt like that was upping the ante yeah. in this, in the, like, and I felt a threat from them. It was yeah. it was really interesting in that way, even knowing the history of them from other Star Wars things where they're, they're not really anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it just – here's how good the show is. There is a moment leading up to this intense encounter. It's very early on, but it's just two guys on a train. Uh-huh. And uh, Cyril, this this young kind of hothead uh, imperial, is sitting there, and he's just staring at his hat – and this older guy who's really taken kind of a shine to him and just respects him and, and likes how serious he is about the military is is noticing him just look at his hat. And he, he just hands him his hat and they have this wordless exchange of hats. Uh-huh. This was fascinating to me because I didn't understand it. I didn't either. So I went into, I mean, 
into the dungeons of uh-huh. Reddit trying to find out what is this scene about? It was it was just it wasn't a bad thing. It was a really nice moment whether there was meaning to it or not. It was just like, oh, it's kind of a cute friend thing uh, as they're going wherever they're going. Uh, and I read all kinds of things, and it was incredible to me how many people were just in Reddit talking about what did that hat scene mean? Uh-huh. And nobody was angry. Nobody was screaming about that was a stupid scene. It didn't make sense. Everybody was just doing detective work trying to figure it out, and then one guy nails it. And it's so way back when he first met uh, the the older Imperial mm-hmm. when they're doing a raid. The person in charge of the raid has an orange bill on their hat, and everybody else has a dark bill. And so he's sitting there, and he's staring at his hat because it's the same color as the, uh, you know, just the regular soldier. Oh, okay. And the older guy is wearing an orange hat. Mm. And so he hands it off, and it's like, no, you're in charge. And it's just this wordless little moment of respect. No clue if that's what it was, but that was by far my favorite explanation. I could not believe, though, that I had spent a solid 30, 40 <laughs> minutes trying to figure out why these two guys switched hats. Uh-huh. That's how good this show is. <laughs> and that's that's the most throwaway moment in yeah. the whole episode. Uh, and so everything else was just this whole other level of engagement beyond mm-hmm. that. I, I cannot believe that this show got me the way it did. I think, uh, and and I don't even feel like I'm I'm kind of dipping into hyperbole. I think this is the best Star Wars has been. I think this is one of the best shows on television this year. Um, it's just this this is this is something else. I really hope people grab on and watch it and rewatch it and enjoy it, and that this is. Not everything that Star Wars becomes, but that we get more of this kind of I, stuff. I would rather it be all of Star Wars. I I think it would get dreary. I, I think this level of writing could easily translate to a show with Jedi, a show with anything else. I think it's the writing that makes this so good and the pacing and and how serious they take the universe. That's what I want. I want them to take it seriously, yeah. though. And I think they've already shown in the moments where they have presented very classic Star Wars moments, like the space battle yeah. and like how they present like the alien life forms and things, that they could easily, like the Jedi would not be a problem at all. Yeah. I feel it would be stronger and yeah. it, would, it would be more interesting and layered. Yeah. Um, I I could I would rather I would rather never go back to the cartoony. Oh yeah, and I I definitely you can get rid of the cartoony part of it. Uh, that's that's fine. I just even in the course of this season, uh, the the three episode prison arc uh, was a very different tone and, and different kind of dramatic genre than the last two episodes or the story arc that came before that. So I think that. That this level of of writing and quality, you're able to still do spacefaring adventure, and you're still able to do intense, uh, you know, rebel level stuff, and you could still do Jedi type things. That scene between Luthen and uh, what's his name on the elevator, yeah, hundred percent could have been a Jedi and a Sith, yeah, uh, in another series having another conversation. It was that level of of weight and performance that really just sold that moment. Whether they had blasters, lightsabers, or they're just spies. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the part that really 
makes it the kind of Star Wars I want it to be. Um, and I, I cannot imagine that I'm not going to just sort of disgust watch Mandalorian season three. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I don't, like, I don't think I could watch any of that stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure for this I will, but it's just, I'm completely changed in my star yeah. wars viewing now because this is what i've been wanting yeah like every time i complained about star wars before or mandalorian or anything this is what i like had in my head yeah. and like it showed me that like yeah this can be so much better than what we're being given well and even if you go back to the original trilogy uh especially the first two films those movies are about Rebels, those are about people. Yeah. Yes, one happens to be learning a little bit about the Force, but even when you go back and watch it, it's so light on the lightsaber action mm -hmm. and so light on the Force powers and things like that. It still feels very normal people in this space opera. Um, and I, I'm really interested in watching the original trilogy again here in a bit and seeing do I respond to it as positively? Is it going to hurt something? Is it going to make it better? I think it's going to make it better. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just really love this series. Yeah. I was, I read a little bit of uh, something with the um, little interview with the, the show creator mm -hmm. and he was talking, they were asking him about like why there's like how they don't really know about Jedi or anything. Mm -hmm. And he was just saying like, it's a big galaxy. Yeah. Like, it's just like this corner has not heard about it. Um, there's a lot of corners you have not heard about it. And it's it's more this fringe, like, religious cult group. Like, they're like... Way off on some other planet. Yeah, like, why... Like, not everybody's heard of it. They're not yeah. these superheroes that, that they're being broadcast across the, the universe. They're just this niche group who have tapped into this thing. And, yeah. and that makes me, like... I don't know. It makes me more excited for other things that are shown yeah. that don't have to um, fall in line and be telling those stories. For sure. Yeah. So ugh, I don't know what you're doing. If you haven't watched Andor, get on that because, yeah. wow, what a show. It's so good. All right. So today uh, we're going to talk about four things. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about Black Panther Wakanda Forever which we just watched in theaters. We're going to talk about this little indie horror flick called Nocebo. Uh, I believe is how you pronounce that, like placebo, but nocebo. Yeah, I, I was like surprised to realize that that's actually a medical term. Really? Yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. even go that far. We'll talk about that. Uh, then another little indie uh, flick called Something in the Dirt, a little sci-fi horror. And then our Sinatron pick, Chaos Walking, um, which... I have some thoughts. So let's start with <laughs> Black Panther Wakanda Forever in theaters now. Queen Ramonda, Shuri, Mbaku, Okoye, and the Dora Milaje fight to protect their nation from intervening world powers in the wake of King mm. T'Challa's death. As the Wakandans strive to embrace their next chapter, a new enemy emerges. And that would be Namor, uh, which is, I think, the first big screen mutant uh, that's that's popping up in the MCU. Clint, I had kind of told you that Wakanda Forever uh, seemed different. Mm -hmm. uh, what you what you think of Wakanda Forever? I want to ask you where. How do you want this conversation to go? Oh do, man, do you want to start this <laughs> on a good note, or do you want to start it on my note, whatever that might be? Is your note not good? <laughs> 
I don't. Do you want this to be a positive interaction? <laughs> All right. Let me let me rehash okay. my Let's hear your impressions. Thoughts. MCU nerd over here. Yeah. Comic book nerd over here. Yeah. Really enjoyed Wakanda Forever. Thought that it it uh it was a surprisingly focused uh look at uh sort of loss and grief and the different ways that different people grieve. And I was surprised, you know, those themes don't surprise me in a Marvel movie, but how much those themes sort of infected every single plot line I thought was really interesting. Um and and I enjoyed Almost all of this movie it gets a little CG at times at the end, but the main conflict at the end wasn't uh, wasn't CG. It was it was very kind of rough and brutal, and uh, I just I enjoyed it. Um, I I am now braced and prepared <laughs> for. What'd you think, Clint? I didn't like this movie at all. Not really. Wow. Like I um I'm gonna start I'm genuinely by, surprised. Yeah. I am gonna start by saying like. I didn't really like the first Black Panther. Okay. Um, this one, I was kind of on board with it at the beginning with just like the the aspect of dealing with the grief of, mm-hmm. and the loss of Black uh, of of the main character from Black Panther. But I I thought it got so muddled by the like introduction of the main plot of this movie mm-hmm. and the action of this movie mm-hmm. i have a really hard time jumping between we're going to deal with the grief of this per like in the loss of this person and the, and but then we're going to go into super cartoony action scenes mm-hmm. and i just can't make that switch it like it really jars me and i and through all of the recent marvel and and that's always been my hardest thing to deal with in these movies is the action. Mm-hmm. I'm not on board with the action at all. It feels it's too clean and like um CG and it just really takes me out of the movie. So when that's like it feels like <laughs> I don't know, it just does not marry together well for me. Gotcha. And um so that's what it was distracting me. And another thing is Right before this movie started, we saw the trailer for the new Avatar. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about like, I mean, we're not excited excited to see Avatar. Like, maybe we'll lie and say we saw it. (laughs) (laughs) And then this gets into the main plot line of this movie, and I'm feeling like I'm watching Avatar right now. (laughs) Like, the characters look like Avatar, and I'm just not into it. Yeah. Um, So that's my main my, my main issue with it. Mm-hmm. It's just I have a hard time jumping. I like not a spo- I'm not going to spoil it, but mm-hmm. the the mid credit scene mm-hmm. in this movie. If they had decided to do the entire movie to look like that, mm-hmm. take it as seriously as that, I may have enjoyed this yeah. movie. But in the end of the day, it just felt like every other Marvel movie to me. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because at, yeah, the mid credits and and some of the the shots are gorgeous. Um, but if the whole movie was that and that tone and that pacing and things like that, it would make a quarter as much. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I know. I know it's fine to you, but some of us want to see our explodey bits. And But you the know, explodey bits weren't even ex- like impressive, really. Like, See, I, I get excited by that stuff. Anytime they can tell take me something. Those CGI whales were impressive. No, no, I'm I'm not talking about the whales. But at first, when you see Namor with his little winged feet, 
uh, you know, it's just like, all right, that's Can you explain that to tinsy. me? Clint, Clint, that's not how comic book movies work. Why is it that, okay, everyone else takes this plant and then they can, okay, they have like eternal life and they can breathe underwater and all that. He was a mutant though. But tell me why the the mutant ability is not just that he can go on land and sea. Right. Why does he get flying feet? He already would have (laughs) developed those things. So the way the mutant gene works, the X gene (laughs) in the comics is that. So he happened to just be a mutant. Uh, yes. Okay. That's he was already be. a mutant. Then there has to be something that triggers it. It could be as simple as puberty, or it could be trauma, or experiments, or different things. If you have an X gene, it it triggers it in a certain way. So he was already, I would assume, going to be born with certain powers. Uh huh. the The only thing that the the uh, the plant thing did to him specifically was the breathing underwater and above water okay. and all that kind of stuff. That that was my read on it. Do they explain any of that? <laughs> Heck no. No. Because the more you explain this stuff, the less sense it makes and the dumber it is. So mm-hmm. you don't explain this stuff, Clint. Right. And then people like me just get excited when he sort of air breaks in the sky yeah. with his feet wings and shoots off in another direction. Those are the moments. I I, I hear you. And yeah. I totally get what you're talking about with the action. My brain just sees the splash panel where when he when he comes full stop and takes off that one second little thing doesn't but matter that doesn't what make came a good before movie. it doesn't matter <laughs> no, no 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 I know that I'm saying action wise okay it's it's those little keyframe moments where you get this cool realization visualization of live action something you read about when you were a little kid and looked at pictures and never imagined seeing it look remotely real yeah. Uh, that's my brain. I'm good to go. Yeah. Um, but I, I totally understand that is just not your brain. The whole time I'm thinking like you, you just explained this to me. Okay. About why he has the feet, but the entire time, I don't know any of this. Yeah. So I'm watching this movie and thinking, why does he have wings on his feet? <laughs> you, that's, that's like level one, you know, just like, why does he have wings? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I was never a huge Namor fan, but I I like when the MCU kind of gets in and tinkers with things. He was uh, like in the comics, it's Atlantis and it's a very Greco-Roman kind of thing. And uh, I I like the idea of taking it and giving it a different culture and a different spin. I like that. That I, enjoy that, I like that the, the Mayan culture aspect of it. That was fun. But I mean, the their whole backstory is the exact same backstory as Wakanda. Yeah. And so then I I do wish. That they hadn't done the backstory. I think it would have been much better and more mysterious if it's yeah. just here's these underwater people, and this guy says he's something called a mutant. I think that would have been stronger. I think, and again, anytime comic book movies try to do lore, yeah, it it gets tricky. Yeah, and you know it's it's going to work better for people who already know the lore and are enjoying the the riffing on the the known lore. Yeah. Um, then somebody who's just wondering, like, wings on the feet. <laughs> Why has he got wings on his feet? I always thought that was a stupid design. Yeah. So in my brain, they made it cool. That's a check mark because it's not stupid anymore in my mind. That that was the bar they had to cross for me. For you, it was, why does this guy have wings? Well, because I'm thinking about the what it has done to everyone else. And then yeah. they're not explaining that he's a mutant that – 
okay, I, now I have to know, oh, this just triggered that his mutant ability was... <laughs> I think I'm just a sucker for these movies. Yeah, I, I, I think I... Cried I six separate times uh, easy. Um, you know, and everybody knows it that goes to the movies with us because as soon as it was over, they're all looking down at me to see if I'm crying. <laughs> sure enough, you better believe I'm crying. I'm, you know, a weepy mess because the mid credit scene. So well, that was the best scene in the movie. And I, I agree. But, it's you know, buried was, in the middle of the, all the credits. Well, it's the only yes. like actual like scene where the like the grief is actually felt. I, I don't know. There there were such punch moments. There's a, there's a major character that dies. That was a punch. There's a Ewan speech that was a punch for me. There's Shuri going into the uh, the ancestral realm. That was a punch because of who she sees. I, it had moments for me that were really dark and heavy. And I felt like the whole movie was darker and heavier than I expected or that I've seen before from from an MCU kind of flick. Yeah, I think like the major character dying moment wasn't surprising to me because of where our main character had to end up. Yeah, that's true. So I knew, okay, she's going to be here by the end of this movie. So it's just like, we got to get her there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just not the client. I just, I don't know why I keep trying. I I should just let it go and let you enjoy the things you enjoy. (laughs) And I'll just watch you watch these superhero flicks and I'll just be dopey and happy over here with my cartoony action and philosophical musings in the middle of superpowered fights. I'm fine with the, yeah, the philosophical musings, but it's completely undermined by the action that then feels like, I feel like, just the CGI gets worse and worse. I feel like really? they really, I do. I think they're trying to pump it out quicker and quicker. I do agree with that. And cheaper and cheaper. And I think it's suffering. Yeah. I see. I don't tend to see it until that third act battle. That's where it always shows it's uh, when they're on the side of the boat and stuff. And I don't understand why they do that. You've got underwater baddies just have the wind whipping around and water flying everywhere. And, people have been figuring out that the more texture and debris and dust and things like that you layer over CG, the better it looks. And I I do not understand why superhero movies like to take away that smoke and grime, uh, you know, of, of a chaotic battle just to show you very clearly what's happening because then all you have to lean on is the CG. I think because people complained about that in the past, didn't they? Because they wanted to see the action, but then they used those tricks to hide the seams. I, and just, I feel like there's an artistic way to achieve both. Yeah. I'm but re-watching, I, mean, I don't know where you get that on an ocean. I guess. <laughs> Again, just, you know, there's lots of wind and, and just uh, hurl some water around. Classic can see all the lots wind. Lots of water. Lots of water. <laughs> we all can't be Avatar 2. I mean, this was Avatar 2. I think the next one... Maybe. It was, Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So that was a surprise. So, did you uh, think I would love it? I didn't think you would love it. I thought you would respect that it was different. I just I didn't you feel would it. Like it. I didn't feel any of the so, difference. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Huh. All right. I'm going to keep trying somehow. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so, our next and movie. I, uh, sorry. And I know no, it's okay. just me. Like, I know people. Like, it's I'm not, not just you, though. There's a lot of people, even people who were really into the MCU early on, are getting worn out from 
some of the more formulaic portions of of comic book movies. Yeah. And I, I'm still having that problem with this phase of Marvel where I just don't feel it building towards anything. Yeah. And this one didn't help with that. Okay. I don't know. All right. Well, our next movie is from director Lorcan Finnegan, and it's called Nocebo. And this is something I just, I remember spotting this title and reading about somebody recommending this. And so when it suddenly popped up, I was like, oh, let's go watch this horror movie. Uh, and you're absolutely right. A nocebo effect is said to occur when negative expectations of the patient regarding a treatment cause the treatment to have a more negative effect. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, Nocebo stars Eva Green and Mark Strong, among others. Uh, Eva Green plays a fashion designer who suffers from a mysterious illness that confounds her doctors and frustrates her husband. Help arrives in the form of a Filipino nanny who uses traditional folk healing to reveal a horrifying truth. Clint, what did you think of Nocebo? Well, I didn't realize this till after looking it up, but um, Lurkin Finnegan, he did that movie Vivarium with Jesse mm-hmm. Eisenberg that we talked about a yeah. while ago. And neither of us completely loved, but we're both creeped out by certain things. And I yeah. think we were kind of back and forth on that one. Yeah, I think you ended up liking it a little bit more than I did. I did, but, yeah. Um, well, I was interested, like I had put this in my list to watch and I, I was interested by the trailer of this. and. I'm a big fan of Ava Green. Like mm-hmm. I, I've liked her in pretty much everything she's been in, or in everything that I've seen her in. Um, and like that, like the Filipino folk magic, like healing was something that, like, I feel like hasn't been done that much. So it was an interesting angle to take, and I was just curious about like what is this thing she's suffering from, and yeah. um, it, because it just seemed kind of otherworldly and maybe not completely what you're thinking it is. Um, But by the end of this movie, like I was on board with this for probably three quarters of it. And by the end of this movie, it, it pretty, it thoroughly lost me. Like uh, there was, uh, once we get into, if we're going to talk any spoilers. We can a little bit because yeah. I do want to talk about that scene that lost you because yeah. I, I understand it. But um, I, I'll I'll wait till we get there. Okay. Um, so uh, there's there's some good aspects, but overall this movie lost me. Okay. This is a movie for me that this is what I would describe, what you were describing, Black Panther, uh-huh. where it's too shiny and it shows too much. Yeah. And there are moments that are too cartoony and it it distracted me from kind of the thrust of things mm-hmm. and, and the darkness that was going on beneath. It This is a very unique visual style that doesn't match the atmosphere and the tone that I feel like it's going for. It almost looks like a TV movie. At times. Yeah, it almost feels like there's no atmosphere at all. Yeah. It's it's very brightly lit. Yeah. It's it's very uh color forward, um, but but in sort of a garish kind of way, not in a interesting or evocative sort of way, just in a there's no color grading to this film. Just whatever colors were on the set, that's what you got. Which and I could it, have it, admired. I, I could have, I could if, have. If it like tried to play with that yeah. but it never plays with it no no it's it's very on the nose and mm-hmm. it's very straightforward i i was really holding on to this movie for quite a long time because 
I wanted to like it more than I was liking it. And yeah. honestly, if it had a killer ending and really brought it to a crazy third act, I probably would walk away recommending this mm-hmm. movie. But I felt like they really dropped the ball at the end. And let's go ahead, spoilers. Let's talk about the scene that that really lost you. Well, uh, first, I, w- I want to say a couple of things that I, I, I did like about this movie. Okay. There were some choices that were made with with um, uh, Chaya uh, Fancier, uh, who plays Dana, mm. um, with her character as this the like, Filipino the, the nanny, Fili- as the Filipino like caretaker mm-hmm. of Eva Green. Um, that I really liked how they presented her as. Kind of almost, I, I don't know if this is quite right, this, but how I kind of described it in my mind as almost like this Filipino version of a like skinwalker where she mm-hmm. can transform into different things. And like she presents herself early on in the movie as like this diseased dog. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, image imagery. And I really liked how they presented this how she gets this disease, mm-hmm. Eva Green's character, is through this tick bite. And it's a very strange, like, otherworldly tick. Yeah, the whole tick thing is very Cronenberg. It's very, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I like that. I like, and it almost, her symptoms almost present themselves from little I know of almost the Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. So it almost, like, am I, th- I'm kind of thinking, like, throughout the movie, it, does she just have Lyme disease? Like delirium. Del- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's different things that, that kind of are presenting to her or being presented f- to her through um, that feel very kind of something that, like, we've dealt with in in reality, but also they feel otherworldly and mm-hmm. what she's dealing with. Um, so I like that aspect of it. And I really like the scene where she's dreaming maybe, and she's like, there's a giant tick crawling towards mm-hmm. her face slowly. And like, she sees it on her husband's face, just sucking yeah. away. Like that was very Cronenberg. It felt like naked mm-hmm. lunch or something. Um, and I like those aspects of it. Um, and I was wishing there was more of that. But anyway, to get to the scene that really lost me. Okay, so I guess to break it down, Eva Green is this clothing, children's clothing designer. And she gets this call early on in the like very first scene of the movie. That they're and pulling bodies out. They're pulling, is all you hear. Yeah, they're pulling bodies out, and she seems like very frightened and like and um this is uh, something awful has happened. And so she is then plagued by this disease and then the the caretaker shows up but what they do throughout the movie is they're presenting like why is this caretaker here and what does she have to do with the disease if there's anything. a series of flashbacks yeah you, you get the caretaker's story yeah uh as it happens you know chunks at a time right but then where that intersects right the the inter, like the entire time i'm that's what i'm i'm thinking about is how is this intersection going to mm-hmm. happen how is the, are they going to make this uh believable in why eva green is plagued by this disease mm-hmm. um after you realize that this caretaker has basically given her this disease mm-hmm. and you're wondering why does she deserve this so the scene that lost me is they're at the the caretaker is working at this factory in in the Philippines and 
Um, she's there with her daughter. And this is at the very end of the movie. Very end of the I movie. I mean, it's you know maybe it's, 10 minutes You left. kind of realize it's getting... It's going to do something with like because it's putting the pieces in, into place of like what happens, but to the extent of what they're going to show, I'm still curious about. So yeah, she works there and her daughter is there with her, and this is the factory that is making the clothes that Eva Green's character has been designing throughout the movie. And then um, you see Eva Green's character come in. And into the sweatshop, into the sweatshop, and she's touring it, and she's asking about production, and she's like, "They're like, oh, we're doing twenty-five an hour," and she's like, "Let's up it to 30. and she's like, "I'm worried about like stealing," so she's like, "Can we bolt the door shut?" <laughs> and like this instant, it goes from okay, she's her clothes are being made there to oh no, she's a super villain, yeah, and she is directly involved with the death. Like, because there's a fire that breaks out, yeah. the death of this woman's child. And practically, it makes no sense because she's been a designer. And it's very clear that she has people above her that she works for. And so it, it was it was very confusing why had this set it up where you had opened with her touring this place and you had opened with her doing all this stuff and then she develops this disease and only later do you find out that the place she had toured and she was a jerk in burned down and da 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 it would have made a lot more sense but you really come to have so much sympathy for Eva Green's character and then suddenly you realize oh I shouldn't have had any, any sympathy at all you're given this last minute kind of twist of who she is as a person. Yeah. Uh that that makes her far more unlikable. Well, and because yeah, like they present her the entire time in this movie as just basically this kind of loving mother and yeah. and wife. Her husband is the one that's getting in the way. He's the one that's being rude and racist or whatever else. Yeah. Um but so she's just presented as a normal person. Yeah. And so that twist at the end of like, no, she's this awful villain just didn't – it felt like out of left no. field to me. No. Um, I feel like I went a long way describe, <laughs> just describing what was happening in this movie. You're okay. Um, but yeah, so that lost me and it just – and it kind of just discounted the rest of the movie for me. Um, there is a – I'm going to go back to another – element that I liked from this movie, they go into the backstory of how she became this this um, kind of uh, Filipino healer. Like, healer. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there's some, like, kind of, you would kind of see it as, like, this witchcraft elements mm -hmm. to it and from other cultures. Um, and they go into why, how she be, got that. And I really like that backstory yeah. element of, like, she she's witnesses a, another um, healer die and that that spirit of that that healer is passed on to her yeah. and it's presented as basically like this little bird that yeah. crawls into her mouth. And I liked what they did with that at the end. I wish there was more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I thought as the movie went along, there would be a lot more of that yeah. rather than just sort of healing with incense and liquids and things like that. That almost felt sort of like when uh, you see um, – uh, any coverage of the the faith healers that dig into your yeah, stomach yeah, and, and pull, pull out the, out the, the, the chicken guts, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they they're telling you that they're removing all mm -hmm. of these tumors. It felt like that, like especially when she was moving the jar of liquid behind her head, yeah, and then it would have out. dirt in it. It just you know, uh, and so it it didn't have anything that really rose to 
oh, there's really supernatural things happening here, which could contribute to why Eva Green's character is so confused as to whether this is a good person or not when her yeah. husband's challenging it. Um, you know, it just it, there was a lot of back and forth there. Yeah. There was there was kind of a hint of it early on because at one point Eva Green's drugs disappear. Yeah. And as soon as her husband says, I found them under her bed, Eva Green just completely turns on this woman. Mm-hmm. And it's just like she was making you feel a lot better without those drugs. Even if it was true that she took them, the level of outrage well, they did present. I felt they presented that pretty believably when he says that she's been sneaking it back into your food. Oh, okay. To make you feel I didn't catch like that that's line. what her whole thing okay. was that she took your medicine is making you feel better by then just like sneaking it back to you. Okay. So I that, must have missed that. Yeah, that worked for me. One other thing I didn't like is that they really give it away quickly that she is the one involved with yeah. giving her the disease when, especially when like, she like reappears to Eva Green's daughter yeah. as the dog in the house, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. So then the whole like it, it was so like it just pieced it together too quickly. Yeah, I I knew where it was going long before I think it wanted me to. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, so you know, nocebo. It was it was something. I don't know. Yeah. It was a movie. It was it was okay. Um, I I don't regret watching it, but it was strange. So. <laughs> There you go. All right. Our next movie is Something in the Dirt. This is from directors Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. And uh, these rattle off some of the movies they've done. They did um, Spring and... Uh-huh. Uh, and The Endless. The Endless, which we I think we both like I the really Endless. I really like The Endless. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, this is about two neighbors, John and Levi, who witness a shocking supernatural event in their Los Angeles apartment building and realized that documenting the paranormal could inject some much-needed fame and fortune into their humdrum lives. Um, That makes it sound like a much more straightforward film than it is. It's a found footage film of sorts, you come to realize, because even what you're watching, uh, a lot of is attributed to uh, recreations Mm -hmm. that they're doing as they make a documentary about what they originally found but lost footage. Uh, Anyway, Clint, what'd you think of somewhere, something, some, someone (laughs) in the dirt, something, something, something in the dirt. dirt. You already forgot the name of it. Um, Well, there was a lot I actually liked about this movie. Mm -hmm. I really liked, um, well, I, I, I really liked the, tone of all of the movies by these mm-hmm. directors. They're very lo-fi indie sci-fi movies where they're doing as much as they can without showing and with the budgets they have. And yeah. I really admire that. And there's a lot of the time they really pull it off. And it's more about like the idea of something rather than the, you know, big practical or big, I mean, big special effects. Mm-hmm. So, and this is kind of that too. And, but like, I think I was a little thrown by the trailer, the trailer makes it feel much more like you're going to see a lot more. Yeah. And this is going to be a bigger than what you're maybe used to by these mm-hmm. directors. So that kind of threw me off and I was expecting more from it. And then when it went into, we're more interested in the ideas of these things, like mm-hmm. what we're dealing with, it, I, I think I was not as interested. Um, but as like like I actually really enjoyed these characters together. Like I I, I believe them as these two mm-hmm. kind of 
um, slacker guys who um, don't really know each other don't really know each other but then like just decide to get involved with this thing mm-hmm. as this way to maybe get fame and fortune they see it as this thing um, to get them out of their humdrum lives and their uh they all go all in very quickly mm-hmm. on, in on on this thing and I actually really liked the element the thing that they that gets them invested, like the, mm-hmm. the 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 supernatural moment, because it's very low key, and you, I don't know, like I feel like that's something you would maybe get word of, like in our mm-hmm. modern, like on our time, like this thing is floating, yeah. and 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 it's just this strange happening, and I really li- actually I liked how it unfolded. Like it was kind of after the fact, I appreciated it more. Mm-hmm. Like I liked that they were just playing with the idea of documentary, mm-hmm. and they're playing with the idea of reenactment, and like playing yourself in the documentary. Oh. And I, I liked the the like the people they interviewed, and they're asking like, "Oh, why did I don't know why did you do it this way?" And there's a lot I liked about it, but I just feel like it like didn't like add up to as much as I wanted it to be at the end. I wish it would have been more clear early on that this was the movie it was. Oh, okay. That it was about a reconstruction of events uh-huh. and things like that. Because by the time I realized that most of what I had been watching were recreations, I spent so much time trying to backtrack and think about it mm-hmm. that I I lost interest pretty quickly. This is the film version of the Tenacious D song where they're walking down the road, the devil <laughs> appears and says, you know, if you can sing the greatest song in the world, uh huh, I'll let you live. I won't take your souls. And they do. They nail the, the greatest song in the world. Mm-hmm. But they don't remember what the greatest song is, so this is just a tribute. Yeah, yeah. That's this film where it's just like there's a reason why they lose their original footage and so now they're going back through and trying to make it look like it was. Uh-huh. I would have enjoyed that more from the beginning, knowing that. I've, I I couldn't tell if it was, is the movie trying to do a little bit of subterfuge and hide that fact so it's like a twist? Or is it just trying to dupe you into feeling like you're watching something real and then you realize, well, how much of this is reliable? Um, and there there is really... I wish I had enjoyed it more because there's a great moment at the end uh, with one of one of the people that you meet, one of the characters, their fates, mm-hmm. and it it was that that was the one moment where it really got my brain mm-hmm. and just oh that's that's really unsettling and that's really otherworldly and it's that endless level uh, type of of sci-fi horror, um, but it was it was very short lived for me and so. Uh, maybe if I watched it again, that's that's the problem. I didn't love it enough to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Maybe if I watched it again, I would enjoy it more, knowing what it was. Um, I don't. I don't know. I. I mean, I really actually liked how it naturally unfolds and gives you the information that, like, the whole time that certain things in this have been reconstructed, mm-hmm. and I. I thought that was actually a really funny idea, especially mm-hmm. with what you know about these characters and that's actually felt very true to them because they're like such kind of like 
buffoons in their own way and just can't hold it together. And of course, the, all the footage get lo- got destroyed because they had it too close to the, the closet. Which in. they've been talking about the whole yeah. the whole movie. It's just like how hot this apartment is. Yeah, but it all, but it didn't like take away from the supernatural elements of the movie and make me believe like that none of it was true. Like I believe at the heart of it, they did see something and that's part of the reason that at least like they're kind of committed to finishing this. Um, And so I feel like even if it's a reconstruct, like, like they're redoing it, um, I think there's a truth in the center of yeah. it, even if it's being heightened a little bit. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a. It's trying to say it was a hoax. Yeah. Um, it just, I don't know. It was. It was interesting. I mean, at the very least, it was different. It was not what I expected, and it it wasn't like. Um, it, it it certainly wasn't like any other movie I can think of. Uh, it just it just didn't catch me for some reason. Huh. Mm, yeah. Wakanda forever. So uh, that <laughs> I liked it way us... more than Wakanda. I will oh, say wow. that. I did. Uh, that brings us to our fourth film, Chaos Walking. And uh, this one sort of got raked over the coals. It has a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. But Cinetron gave it to us. And when Cinetron beckons, I guess we have to obey. This stars Daisy Ridley of uh, Star Wars sequel quote fame i guess tom holland mads mickelson uh it's it's nick jonas uh, i wasn't going there (laughs) damian bashar uh david it's got a jonas brother you gotta go there i know but there's way more impressive actors than than a jonas but anyway um it's it's got quite a cast uh and so here's the plot in uh prentice town todd has been brought up to believe that the spackle released a germ they killed all the women and unleashed noise on the remaining men. Mm-hmm. After discovering a patch of silence out in the swamp, his surrogate parents immediately tell him that he has to run, leaving him with only a map of New World, a message, and many unanswered questions. He soon discovers the source of the silence, a girl named Viola. That tells you nothing. It is one of the worst plot descriptions <laughs> I've ever read, but at the same time, I completely understand why it is so difficult to explain the plot of this movie. Clint, explain the plot of this movie. I don't know if I can. I feel like it's convoluted, <laughs> it's, like sci-fi gobbledygook, gobbledygook. Yeah. Like, it just, like, feels like it's drawing for all, all these different things and smashing it together in, yeah. like, the most uninteresting way. Men can basically hear yeah. the thoughts well, they can they and their thoughts are presented. Correct. They, yeah. Like it's like in a cloud. You can visually. hear. You can visually see and hear their thoughts. Yeah. Um, so there's no hiding what you're thinking no, or what no. your intentions are. No. And. <sighs> and there's this one girl. Well, yeah. All the all the women have been killed yeah. by what they're presenting as like the, a disease that took out all the women, but, um, but then Daisy Ridley's character who is on a spacecraft. Of course. Falls to Earth, of course, and she survives. And so she's so the the mayor of this town, um, played by Mads, who wandered onto a film set and just decided, "Well, I'm here." (laughs) Is the fuzziest big coat (laughs) in the hottest climate? Yeah, yeah. Um, it like they want to capture this girl, and then it's Tom Holland's 
duty and like he feels it obligation to, I don't know, or just attraction once is going to save this girl and get her out of harm's way. Let me ask you a better question. Yeah. Is Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland good actors? I, this made me question. <laughs> and this is not a good starting point to get into their careers. No. no. Um, but no. I, it made me not so much for her. Okay. Like, because she's, I don't know, quiet for, like, she's just silent for a large mm-hmm. portion of this movie. Um, but Tom Holland, I really question it on this. And I, and I, but I don't know why. And I, I had such a hard time with the thought cloud thing. Mm-hmm. I found it so irritating. Like, it was almost like uh, ASMR to me, yep. where it, like, it nails on a chalkboard, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, I want this to stop so bad. I don't like when movies present how people think. Yeah. Because it just sounds like someone narrating. And I don't know about your brain. Do cleanse. you think the rest of this, like this conversation, I should dub in our thoughts? <laughs> that we just can't hear the rest of the podcast. Just yeah, just muffle muffle the review <laughs> and just over top of it. <laughs> I I but but I just I do not like because my my thoughts I, I think about certain things, but it's just this gobbledygook of words and thoughts and images and not in the way that this does it. Like no. it's just like it almost just makes everyone feel like a child yeah. and like an idiot, like in the way they're thinking. Yeah. And it's just like I don't think I think like that really. Like it's <laughs> and I don't think about one thing at a time and focus on that until I'm done revealing whatever I'm thinking about. And that. Continuously and, repeating it and yeah. And if if I if I'm in the middle of a conflict and I want to attack somebody, I don't sit there and think I'm going to attack this person. It's yeah, you you think in in more ways than sentences, right? And this really fails um, that that kind of idea. Uh, I almost wish I I don't know how they would have done it, but a really trippy version. Where it's flashes of images and flashes That's, of words. I think and, if they did it more visually, yeah, like yeah. It, it presents itself visually and you're going to see what the, like they're thinking about yeah. doing. And that would have been less distracting yeah. too, because then it's like, and I feel like there was moments they did that and it worked a little bit better, but yeah, it, yeah. overall it was not working at all. This this is a strange, it's, it's very disjointed, it's very convoluted, it's muddled. And it's it's one of those things where the whole time I'm watching it, I keep thinking to myself, how did they get these actors? These actors are, and I'm I'm not talking about Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley. It's just all the actors that keep popping up, Mads especially. Like these are better actors than this movie. Well, it's based on um, a book. And and the book is well received. So and that's that might why, be, and I think maybe they were thinking this would be the next YA big hit. Yeah. So maybe that's why they got such good actors. And I could see a version of this where when they're filming it, it feels like it's going really well and maybe it's going to go well. And once it gets to post, which is where you have to do all of the the visual and the the mm-hmm. audible thought. I because that that is the place I really feel like it falls apart. Um but even without that, I don't see how the movie underneath of it even with what you know i'm thinking of in my head as being visually engaging i still don't think it would match up with the movie as filmed the movie is too generic i and that makes me wonder how generic the book is if you know if yeah. it's well received but like maybe in that demographic of people they haven't seen like the things it's drawing yeah. from um and i'll i always go back to it but prospect 
is a very similar yeah. movie, but a way better, um, more polished version of this. Yeah. And like this goes to such lengths to set up this world as kind of like this Western. Mm-hmm. It's to the the lengths of they find the ship that like they that his parents came down on. Yeah. And they have cryogenic chambers for the horses. <laughs> And yeah. it's so silly because, I mean, I really am thinking the whole time, why are there horses on this planet? If yeah. you're really going to settle this new world, you probably would like take like the electric motorcycle that yeah. they had or or machinery of some sort. Why are you going through the trouble of taking these horses? Yep. Um, so I was just thinking about you got to make a, a Western yeah, space they, opera. That's why. Like, that's the only reason. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, this was... I don't think this is 21% Rotten Tomatoes bad. I think it's maybe a 50. I, I just think it's it's overly generic. Yeah. I It's just, it's so, it, it doesn't have, it's easy to forget. Yeah. That's, that's really where my brain is Me going. Too. I can remember more of the first 20 minutes of this movie than the other hour 10 combined. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I, I do remember thinking... This movie has so much exposition, yeah. spoken exposition, spoken thought exposition, just mm-hmm. so much exposition, um, which is where I think something like Prospect really shines because it allows you to discover the world as you're going. Yeah. Um, but Or the other, what was the other movie we watched, the sci-fi one that we, starts with a V. Oh, uh, uh, Vesper. Vesper. Same thing. So much yep. better and it's kind of similar like world building. Yeah. But I think that also lends itself to that YA novel kind of thing. Oh yeah. Where that, oh, for sure. it's, it's, it's got to tell you everything. It It's not counting. It's not trusting its audience to learn its way through or to yeah. understand the language of film and to understand how stories are told and to be patient. And I don't know. I, sometimes I wonder if that sells readers and viewers short other times, you know, looking at our culture, I'm like, well, yeah, that, that kind of tracks. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like the, I've never seen all of them, but I did see the first Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And I think this was probably like I didn't like that movie. So this was probably on par with that. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this, if somebody had given it a chance and maybe if they People were going to love the Hunger Games, I know they do. <sighs> I know they do. But I, I think it was just so average and there's so many better versions yeah. of similar stories. Um, that it's, I don't know, not worth the time. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I very much enjoyed it, felt it dark and different, but Clint did not enjoy it at all. Much to my surprise, I keep failing Clint. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, say I didn't, superhero didn't movies enjoy it at all. Yeah. I was just surprised by how it, it it's like all the other superhero movies. Yeah. Okay. To me. And then Nocebo, which uh, both of us had problems with. Uh, don't regret watching it, but it just sort of fell apart at the end and just didn't hold us. Something in the Dirt, Clint liked more than I did, but we both respected it for kind of its unique touches. And then Sinatron picked Chaos Walking, which did not do either of us or our time or our energy justice. <laughs> So, Clint, let's spin Cinetron and see what happens. Also, I had to pay for that stupid movie. That's, did you? Yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Did you have to pay? Well, I have the the Hulu 
Oh, um, you have that. I don't have that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's probably why it was free for me because I was just like, it was on Hulu. No, not for me. Oh, it sucks. All right. So let's spin Sinatron and see what's up. Okay. I got something for us here. Okay. Um, I let's hopefully it's gonna be better um, than <laughs> chaos walking. Okay. Um, I'm your man with uh, Dan Stevens. Rings a bell. Let me look from up from 2021. The, okay. A scientist in Berlin is persuaded to participate in a study to get funding for her research. For three weeks, she must live with a humanoid robot designed to be the perfect life partner. That is definitely not what I thought it was. Okay. Um, so this is like a creepy AI sort of thing. I don't thing. know if it's creepy or a romance because the title says romantic sci-fi. I don't know. Anytime somebody's falling in love with a robot, it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, robots are just big dolls, Clint, that you have more expectation just, that they should move, but. I mean, there's a lot of great mm. relationships built around real dolls, so. Oh, Clint, no. <laughs> this could be, no. it's that upping an no. ante on that. No, if you could never remind me that that exists, <laughs> that would be great for me. I I am so petrified of dolls. I can't even imagine willingly bringing one into my house specifically to fall in love with. I cannot. Oh, just the chills right now of just imagining that thing turning and looking at you. Oh. <laughs> All right, well... With a loving uh, look. Yeah. We are headed into December, obviously, and so uh, we'll see what comes up in future weeks, but uh, I know we've got we've to come up with some fun Christmassy stuff, and then we'll have our kind of end of the year, and that one might go into January, where we kind of look back and talk about our best of 2022. We'll talk about TV series and movies and uh, all kinds of stuff. There have been a, a lot of really good releases this year, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think we I, should also do our favorite new finds of the year. Like even if, I mean, You know what I mean? Even like, if they're not that's what 2022. I mean. That's what I mean. Like we do our... 20, I really like that. Do our 2022 find our list and then like, or like things I discovered this year yeah. that not necessarily from 2022. I really like that. Somebody had suggested last year too, uh, or maybe it was... Did we do one last year? We did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, somebody wrote in and said that uh, it would have been cool if we had done like an episode for movies and an episode for TV. Mm. So maybe if it works out, maybe we do like a movie episode, a TV episode, and a, a, a best finds. Yeah. Um, just pop them up there. That might be fun. Have a little award show. You love awards, Clint. <laughs> Let's rate art and give it trophies. <laughs> I love I if if you could sit in here when we're recording and just watch Clint even at the end when I'm summing up what we said about <laughs> the three or four movies that reviewed you can just see it all over his face because that's as close as we come 
to rating art, and Clint <laughs> despises like, rating Ken, art. Like, in to one sentence, narrowing down what I thought of it, and it's just like, yeah, Ken and Clint hated it, and like, no, I'm not saying it. And I hated it. I come from the world of Blu-ray.com, where there were stars, and you just. It has a numerical value, yeah, and that is the numerical value of this art. That's a real thing, Clint. Numerical value. This is a discussion, not an award show. <laughs> right. We definitely won't do awards or hand out trophies and slap each other then, no. and it'll all be good. All right, Clint. Uh, this has been episode 68 of Cinebabble, and uh, tune in next time. Bring a friend. Bring a couple of friends. Uh, spread the spread the word. I don't know. Disease. Not enough cinepuns on this on this show. You think for it a show needs more? Cin- no, not okay. at all. <laughs> not at all. I never know how to end these episodes. We have Cinetron. Do you ever notice we just sort of ramble our way into just sort of exhaustion, or just, we just give up at some point? Yeah, I think that's how most of our reviews end. <laughs> like we're just like, oh, the words aren't coming. Huh? huh? There, we're no more words. All yeah. right. All right. Well, this has been episode 68. Thanks, as always, for listening. Episode 68. (laughs) Thanks, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. See you later, Clint. Bye, Ken. 